us, right, all kinds of rhythms of our life that we might remember him. So prayer is one of those. We pray. Uh, when we're praying, we're, we're remembering. You know what, God? You, you said in your word, you promised uh, that you would respond to us in this way, that you would be our helper, that you would give us wisdom. How about gathering together like we are right now in worship? What do, you, what do you think happens when we gather together as believers? We're supposed to be stirring one another up and encouraging each other to understand more about God and to respond to him more rightly. So God has given, really since he started interacting with his people in the Old Testament long, long ago, there was this rhythm of gathering together so that the people would not forget God. Now, that didn't help. They still forgot quite often. But even now, as believers, uh, we gather together on a regular basis so that we might remind each other of all that God has done. Now, one thing that, that Jesus gave us specifically um, as believers, he gave us what, what we call a communion or the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. We're going to participate in that together this morning at, our end, at the end of our service. And, and the purpose of this is not just some weird uh, religious kind of thing. It's not that, that we might participate in something that causes us to connect spiritually with something uh, deep down inside of us. The purpose of communion is that we might remember Jesus Christ and his death on the cross until he comes again, right? So Jesus uh, tells us, or, or Paul rather, is, is reiterating and reminding us of what Jesus said uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he says, for I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in what? Remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. This is why we are instructed to do these things. They're not because God needs us to begrudgingly kind of submit to some religious system where he can look down and go, good, my people are doing what I told them to do. That's not the purpose of that. It's not the purpose of all of this. All of the things that, that we see and read in scripture are for our good, that we might not forget who God is, forget what he's done for us and respond rightly to it in a way that leads to fullness and life and joy. Right, So what happens is when we take this truth and we twist it up and we make it try to fit what we think will be best for us, what ends up happening to us? We end up being empty and unfulfilled and questioning why God isn't as good as we thought he was. But when we remember him rightly and respond to him rightly, we see amazing things happen. Okay, so let's set the stage. We're in Bethany, right? A town just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. Jesus is there. It's a dinner in his honor, okay? Now, they're, they're celebrating most likely because just a few days ago, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You guys remember from our series uh, on the I Am series when Jesus literally yells into a, a grave, Lazarus, come out, right? And Lazarus comes out of the grave. 
pretty incredible thing, right? So they're celebrating, they're throwing this dinner in, in Jesus' honor. And, and so here's what we have. We have this room filled with, with the disciples, with Lazarus. John, John tells us here that Lazarus was reclining at the table with Jesus. We have Martha. She's running around, serving, doing what Martha does. And then there's Mary of Bethany, right? So here's what we're going to do this morning. I think that this would be good before, before we go um, any further into this this morning, because there's some things that, that I want us to see. Now, if you're not familiar uh, or you're fairly new to the Bible, to the scriptures, uh, the way that it's divided up is between two testaments, so the Old Testament and the New Testament. So uh, in, in general, the Old Testament is uh, God interacting with his people as they look forward towards a Savior, towards Jesus Christ. So everything is uh, in an anticipation towards the coming of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And then you have the New Testament, which is everything that happened during Jesus' ministry and it's the church, the people of God, looking back at the cross, looking back at Jesus and saying, okay, now here's how we respond as believers to what God has done for us. So that's, that's generally how it's divided up. And so in the beginning of the New Testament, you have the four gospels, right? How many are familiar with the four gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the first three of those gospels are called, we call them, the synoptic gospels. And the reason why we call them that is that if you look at uh, those three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what you see is that the stories within those gospels and the way they're written and the order and what they focus on is pretty similar between the three. And when you look at them all together, you kind of get one big picture of historically everything that Jesus did and what he declared to be, um, and specifically uh, his, his death and his resurrection. And then you have the Gospel of John. Now, roughly 90% or so of John is unique in and of itself. And, and the purpose of the Gospel of John is not necessarily to focus on this the, the more historical account of, okay, here is what Jesus did, but rather to focus on who Jesus is that he's not the one that, that showed up on the scene uh, 2,000 years ago, but rather he is the one who always has been. He is the one that spoke all things into existence, the very son of God. So John opens up and says, in the beginning, as in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it goes on to say that we have seen the glory of the only Son of God. So that's, that's what John is all about. That's why we're in this. So the reason why I told you all that, it's not just a random, like, Bible lesson this morning. The reason why I told you that is our text this morning is part of that 10% of John that we find in some of the other Gospels. And so what I would like to do this morning together is put together um, the details of those three accounts that we have and just paint a picture for us this morning so we can understand what is actually happening in this moment. Because if we just read this text and we talk about it, we don't really understand what was taking place. How are we going to respond in like manner, right? So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to pull uh, from Matthew chapter 26 and uh, Mark 14 
and John chapter 12. So if you're taking notes, you can write down those passages, Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John chapter 12. I'm not going to read those other two um, for you this morning. You can do that later this week by yourself um, if you'd like, but let's just, let's just go there. Can we go there together this morning? Okay. So Jesus, uh, in a day or so, he, he's getting ready to to make his triumphant uh, entry into Jerusalem. You guys remember around Easter, we talk about the palm branches being laid down. That's getting ready to happen. People are getting ready to worship him, who are the same people that are going to scream, crucify him not long after that. So that's where Jesus is heading. And he goes to this dinner that's thrown in his honor. And sitting across from him at the table is a man that he raised from the dead. Wow. Sitting around him, no doubt, are his disciples, one of which was going to betray him very soon. But they've walked with him for three years. They've saw him perform all kinds of signs, all kinds of miracles. They've heard him teach with authority like no one had ever taught before. They've seen him do all kinds of incredible things. And there as well is uh, the sisters of Lazarus. There's Mary and Martha. Now we know that Martha uh, was this woman that was always running around, always busy, always working, always trying to get things done. So she's running around in the background serving, making sure everyone else is taken care of. And then there's this woman, Mary. There's something different going on in Mary's heart than there there was in in everyone else's. Something different happening in Mary's heart. You see, everyone else in the room is sitting around the same Jesus, right? Most of them most likely believe that he is who he says he is. There's a crowd even that's been gathering. John tells us there's a crowd that's gathering outside that that wants to see Jesus and also wants to see Lazarus. They want to know who this celebrity is that's been causing a ruckus. They want to be kind of part of the cool kids and the in crowd and what's going on in the moment and what's culturally progressive. And then there's Mary. And... Our text this morning says that Mary takes an alabaster jar. It tells us in in Matthew, I believe, an alabaster jar, this huge jar filled with a pound, a pound of this crazy expensive ointment. And Mark tells us that she busts the, the neck of the jar. Bam! Breaks it open. You know why she breaks it? Because she has no intention of putting the cork back in it. She has no intention of saving one ounce of this ointment for herself or to save for for another time. She's going to give it all to Jesus. She's going to pour it all on Jesus. It tells us that it was worth 300 denarii. uh, Matthew, Mark, and John tell us that it was worth at least 300 or more. So that was roughly a year's worth of wages. So can you imagine your year's salary? And she buys this ointment, dollars $30,000, $40,000. She busts it open. She walks into the room. 
And everyone's sitting around having a conversation, enjoying Jesus, believing in Jesus, happy to be in his presence. But for Mary, that was not enough. It wasn't enough. And so she walks up and Matthew and Mark tell us that she dumps it on his head, that she anoints his head. Now, how many of you have seen like the crown or something like that? And you know that when they anoint a king or a queen, right, they put oil on their head to to show that they've been set apart, that they've been anointed for a holy and a unique purpose. So Matthew and Mark say that she dumps it on his head. And Jesus, in his response, tells us that it was running down his whole body. Because he says, no, she's, she's done this. She's anointed my body for my burial. And so this pound of ointment is running down. And then John tells us that that exaltation of Jesus, that, that anointing him as king and as Lord wasn't even enough for Mary. The next thing that she does is as that ointment runs down, she gets down on her knees. And she lets down her hair. And she humbles herself to the lowest possible position that she could in her culture. And she pours the rest of that ointment out over his feet. And she gets down and she rubs it in with her own hair. And it says in John that the fragrance of her worship filled the room. And it had an effect on every single person that was there. It's my question for you this morning. Why didn't Lazarus anoint the feet of Jesus? Why not the disciples? Why not Martha? Jesus had already rebuked her at a different dinner and said, Martha, Martha, stop running around. Come sit at my feet. It's what's most important. What did Mary know that they didn't? What what did Mary grab hold of that caused her to respond in such a way that, that they didn't quite grasp yet? It wasn't belief. I, th- I think that they all believed in him, right? Except for Judas, who was going to betray him. And he might even have believed that he was who he was. Why? What was different? I think that if you and I are going to live our lives as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, that respond rightly to God, I think we need to know the answer to this question. Because Jesus, the, the main thing that we should be looking at in this passage is, is not the fact that, um, that Mary did this incredibly cost, costly act of worship. What we should be focusing on is the fact that Jesus said, no, she's got it right. You all got it wrong. What She's got it right. This is the appropriate level of worship, right? Because we read the story and go, that is crazy. Like, that is insane. Who would do something like that? Jesus going, no, no, this, this is appropriate. This is the correct act of worship. I think we can go back and look at Mary's story, and we can get a little bit of an idea of why she responded the way that she did. The difference with Mary from everyone else is the fact that Mary made a habit of sitting at the feet of Jesus. She made a habit of listening to who he was revealing himself to be. And in her listening and in her understanding of who Jesus was, it led to her right 
response. Because here's where worship starts. This is, where I, this is where I'm going with this this morning. And we've talked about this before at Awaken, but this morning I just wanted to get deep down inside of our hearts that your worship of God starts, it begins with an understanding of who he is. Not who you think he is, who he is. Right understanding leads to right worship. Appropriate understanding leads to appropriate worship. And the depth of your understanding is directly proportionate to the depth of your worship. As I was preparing this sermon um, this week, uh, James sent me a, a link to a sermon uh, by a guy named John MacArthur that I do not like to listen to because he preaches right from the Bible. Like he just says, this is the text. This is what it means. Do what you want with it. Respond or not. Believe it or not. But this is what it is. So I don't like listening to him because every time I'm like, oh, I got to change some things. That's not the way I grew up in church. I don't want to, ah. But he sent me this, and James said, man, this is what we've been talking about at Awaken. This is what we've been doing in the book of John. You got to listen to this. And so I want to read for you a, a quote from that because I, I believe is part of um, the Holy Spirit helping me uh, to, to lay this before you this morning. It's a lengthier quote, and he's talking uh, in this specific, specifically about those that are preaching and teaching. And so what I'm going to do, and I think if I sent John MacArthur an email, um, I think that he would respond and say that, that this is okay. Um, what I am going to do um, is replace the word preacher with believer. Because what he's going to say, uh, I believe, isn't just true for those that are teaching. I believe it is true for every single one of us, okay? So here's, here's what he says. He says, any and every legitimate preacher, so I'm going to say legitimate believer, legitimate church, legitimate ministry must be committed to the truth about Christ, to the glory and exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, being relentlessly biblical to understand the full revelation concerning Christ. The single source of truth about Christ is the Bible. And if the theme of the Bible is Christ and the purpose of revealing Christ is so that we may see the fullness of his glory. So let, let me back up and, and just, if you didn't catch what he's saying, that, that train there. So he's, he's saying that the single source of revelation of who Jesus Christ is, is scripture. Okay, so you want to know who Jesus is. Don't draw a picture and go, I think he's like this. Look to the scriptures. This is the full revelation of who Jesus Christ is revealed to us. And he's saying that the purpose of scripture is to reveal Christ. So when you open up to any page, any text, any story, you're not the point. Jesus is the point. Everything in scripture is revealing more about who he is and his nature and his character and our response and who we are in light of who he is. So he's saying that that's the purpose of scripture. And he's saying that the purpose of that, of him revealing himself to us through scripture, is that we may see the fullness of his glory. You tracking with that? So we go to the Bible, it reveals Christ, and the reason why it does that is so that we might see the fullness of his glory. 
Okay, so that's, that's what he's tracking, and he says, then legitimacy is tied inextricably to a consuming preoccupation with knowing all that has been revealed about Christ, to understand his full glory with a view to worshiping him, honoring him, and loving him. Is that what we all want to do today as believers? To worship him, to know him, to honor him. He says it's tied inextricably to a consuming preoccupation with knowing all that has been revealed. He says, in fact, you can tie the two together. The degree of emphasis on the Bible in any believer's, I'm going to say life, or in any church or any organization, the degree of emphasis on the Bible is equal to the commitment to the glory of the Son of God. If there is a diminished interest in the Bible, there is a diminished interest in the one the Bible reveals. Doesn't that one hit home? If there is, on the other hand, an elevated preoccupation with the Bible, there will be an elevated preoccupation with Christ, who is the theme. Those two are in direct proportion to one another. A believer's love for Christ will show up in his commitment to the word of God, which reveals Christ. A church's love for Christ will show up in their devotion to the revelation concerning Christ. They are, again I say, in direct proportion. Where there is a consuming love for Christ, there will be a concurrent, consuming love for Scripture. So Christian, believer, you want to know who God is, right? You, you want to understand, you want to grow in your love, grow in your affections for Christ. You want, you want to know new things about him, new ideas about him. You want the Holy Spirit to move in power in your life. You want to be part of a church where incredible things are happening. Did you read your Bible this morning? How about yesterday, last week, last month? Now look, I, I, it's not a guilt trip. That's not what I'm here to do. What, what I'm trying to do this morning is expand your understanding, expand your horizons on what this is, what this word is. Why did Mary respond the way that she does, that she did? And why do we not respond in that way? It's directly tied to our preoccupation, our obsession with knowing what God has revealed about himself to us. What we believe this is as Christians, it's not just an old book. We believe that this is the very words of God. We believe that. We actually believe that. There are a lot of Christians today that don't believe that anymore, but we believe that this is the very word of God, that it was inspired by the spirit of God, that it was recorded and written down and that it has been preserved for thousands and thousands of years so that you and I might open up the scriptures and know the full revelation of who Jesus is. That's what this is for. You want a miracle? That is a miracle. The fact that this is the most historically documented and accurate book in the history of the world, that there's some 25,000 or something ancient copies of, of the New Testament, and what is, what's the one that's like second place is like 7,500 copies of, of Homer's writings? 
is the most historically documented book in the world. And I go, God, that is a miracle. It might be that you want to reveal something to us. I want to open your horizons. I want to open your eyes to understand that, that this is not just an old book. I really do believe, Christian, I believe that, that one of the tools that Satan uses is to tell you that this book is just a collection of verses and chapters that you will never be able to understand, that you will never be able to comprehend because you didn't go to Bible college, you didn't go to seminary, you don't know how to put this together, you don't know how to read it, so what's the point? I believe that, that he would have us believe that doctrine, that the teachings of scripture are unnecessary for the average believer, that you don't have to know who God is in order to follow him and be a Christian, that you don't have to be increasing in your understanding of who he is to be a Christian. I want to tell you this morning, that is a lie. If everything inside of your heart as a believer is not saying, I need to know more, then there might be a problem there. It is you, your ability to understand and comprehend the scriptures, or rather your inability to do that, is a lie. Do you guys know, I air who I am, do you guys know that I've, I've never been to Bible college? That's why I don't have my degree on my bio on the website. I've not been to seminary. Yeah, I just got into this word a couple years ago and said, you know what, it's consuming me, and it just began to grow and began to grow. There's no excuse today to, to, for us to not know and understand the word of God. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of resources and teachings and courses that you can audit. Now, we have to be careful, and that's why as a church, we want to provide you with resources and avenues that, that you can grow and increase in your knowledge, but there's, there's no excuse for us. There's not. so often are seeking signs as Christians in, in the church today. We want to see a sign. We want to see God do something cool. We want to see the Holy Spirit do something unique. We want our gatherings in the church to be powerful. We want them to be impactful, and we should. I want that too. I want to see God do amazing things in this church as we gather together. I want to see that. But our worship and our honor and our exalting and seeing Jesus, worshiping him and enjoying him is directly tied, directly proportionate to our understanding of him. Mary responded the way that she did because she sat at the feet of Jesus. She's the only one that did. Disciples were working, Martha was running around like crazy all the time. Lazarus had experienced a miracle. Like he was dead. He was dead. And now he's sitting at the table. Now, was he thankful? Absolutely. I believe that in his heart, that in that moment, that he was so thankful, so grateful to be with Jesus. I believe that. But it was Mary who responded. Listen, guys, when you love something, you want to know as much about it as you can. You ever, like, 
wanted to go on a, a, a vacation or buy a car or something like that, and, and you were getting excited about it, and you wanted it, so you started to research and, and look at well, what was going to be there and what you can do and what features it has and all those kinds of things, and the more and more you learned, the more excited you got about it, right? And the more excited you got about it, the more time you spent researching and learning even more, and it was just kind of this cycle that you got caught in up in, right? That's what we do. With, with things that we care about, with things that are of value to us. And all I'm simply saying is that that is what Mary had in her heart. I'm convinced of that. That was what was different about her. And if we are to respond to Jesus rightly, that's what has to be different about us. I, I, see, I see in this story four different responses I'm sure that there's more, but I, but I see four different responses of the people um, in in that room um, this morning. There's there's probably more, but these I think are the most obvious. Uh, the first one that we see, uh, I just I just want you to see the difference because I think that we're all in this room with Jesus and and one personality or, or or another. So the first one is Martha. I won't make you raise your hands, but we got some Marthas in the room, right? Some people that are so busy doing things for Jesus, so busy working and volunteering and keeping busy that we never open up the word and just sit and just enjoy and learn and know more about this God that we are so busy serving. You have Lazarus and the disciples, and they're sitting around. They know Jesus, but they are so comfortable. I, I, I don't know for sure. The text doesn't tell us that. But if I, if I had to venture to guess, I would imagine that these disciples that had spent every single day with Jesus for three years were starting to get pretty comfortable around him pretty comfortable with who he was. And so they're reclining next to him at the table. They're enjoying him. They're believers. But they're reclining. And who else do you have? You have? That's right, you have the crowd outside. We talked about them already. They want to see the new thing, see the new thing in town, the new cool thing that's happening. And then there's Mary. And there's Mary. You see the difference between those? They're all there to honor Jesus. They're all there. Do you see the difference in the intensity level? And then what happens when Mary performs this act of worship? They all get upset. What are you doing? Jesus, are you kidding me? John points out for us that, that he, he points out um, Judas and says, oh, it was Judas that was really upset. But Matthew and Mark tell us that they were all upset, that they were all What's going on here? This could, be, this could be sold for a lot of money and we could give it to the poor. And they're, they're angry about it. They're going, this is, this is a waste. This is a bad use of church funds. Why are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense. This isn't wise. And what does Jesus say? Leave her alone. Shut up. Right? Is that okay to say? Sorry, kids. Sorry, parents, rather. But that's, that's what he's saying. <coughs> I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> he's saying, no, no, no. Leave her alone. She's done this 
She's responded rightly. And Jesus goes on to say that she's prepared me for my burial. Now, whether or not she realized she was doing that, I, I don't know. I, I'd venture to say that she probably didn't realize the, the impact of what she was doing, that she was actually preparing Jesus' body uh, to die and, and be in the grave. Jesus responds to her and says, no, no, this is, this is right. Here's where I'm going with all this. Guys, I so desperately, I, so very much in my heart, I, I want to be part of a group of Christians. I want to be part of a church where, where believers are gathering together. And over the course of time, every single week on Sundays and as we gather together, that we are more and more excited because he, here's what we know is going to happen when we get together. We know that when we get together, we're getting together with a group of people that so very much want to see Jesus for who he is, that we want to know more about him, we want to discover him, and we want to encourage each other to respond and live out our lives towards him. I want to be part of a church that does that, that pursues that. And I will admit that from the beginning of Awaken, when we started all this, we started with, with a very um, a different approach. We started with, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have awesome lights and uh, orange, bright orange paint, and we're going to put out Facebook ads, and we're going to get everybody's attention, and we're going to have them come see us, and how awesome this is, and exciting this new thing uh, is, and, and all of that is, is okay in a sense. But what we did, when we did all of that, what we sacrificed, and I'm laying this before you as, as your pastor, what we sacrificed in that pursuit is pursuing together a right understanding of who Jesus is and an appropriate response. We've not taken communion together as a church since we started eight months ago. We're going we're gonna to fix that this morning and, and start to do this on a regular basis. And we're going to start being way, 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 way more intentional around here about understanding appropriately and responding appropriately to who Jesus is. Because I, I want you all, every single one of you in this room, along with myself, I want us together, together, to just have our affections for Jesus just stirred up. It more and more and more. I'm, I'm so worried about six months from now waking up Sunday morning and going, I just don't want to go do that again. A lot of us have been part of churches where we felt that way, right? I just, want, I just don't want to go do that same thing again. Oh, but I need to talk to so-and-so, so I'm going to go, right? I, I don't want to be part of a church like that. I don't want to pastor a church like that. I'm so grateful for what God has done here in, in the last eight months. And what I'm laying before you uh, is this idea uh, of I think that God is, is bringing us into like step two of this, like stage two. And we're going we're gonna to be more intentional. We're going to take things a little bit deeper because Mary understood the main point of all this. And listen, believer, I think that we miss the main point far too often, don't we? Don't we? That we gather together and we have all these other things that, that we want to pursue and that we want to see. We come to church for all these other reasons. We want to have an experience, right? 
We want to see something cool happen. We want the fellowship. We want to hang out. And, and all those things, they're all, they're all good things, but we miss the main point. And that is to understand who God is in Jesus Christ and respond appropriately.